Hello, and thank you so much for tuning in to Stable Connections, the podcast. Today's episode is with Brittany Massey, and she talks to us about being super driven to learn everything horse, starting at the young age of 12, why she started her training program out of necessity, and what happened right when she leased her first barn that changed her entire trajectory. Hope you enjoy. Stable Connections is sponsored by The Equine Creative. The Equine Creative is a full-service graphic design company specializing in logos and branding for equestrian entrepreneurs. With illustrations that honor your heart, your horse, and your hustle, let's outfit your business the way you'd outfit your horse. Please visit www.TheEquineCreative.com to learn more. Stable Connections is sponsored by Equine Business Magazine. Equine Business Magazine is the new online magazine for equestrians, equine business owners, and nonprofits. Each issue includes content written by equine industry professionals, offering readers marketing tips, stories, and more. Equine Business Magazine also offers business owners an opportunity to advertise to equestrians, equine businesses, and nonprofits. And a major bonus this magazine is free to read. Visit equinebusinessmagazine.com to learn more. My name is Brittany Massey, and I am a hunter jumper trainer in the Sacramento area. Uh, just leased a really fabulous facility right around the corner from the Murrieta Equestrian Center. And this is literally the culmination of all my little girl dreams. My sister and I used to draw riding facilities. We would make barn plans. I mean, we spent hours designing how we wanted our barn to be. And now it's like I have the real life model to do that. And, you know, I think everybody in this industry has really unique stories, but they're all kind of along the same lines. We all absolutely loved horses. It doesn't matter if you grew up as a funded junior or if you grew up like I did on a little tiny ranch in Northern California, just riding your pony bareback every day. So for me, I started just absolutely loving horses. My parents who knew nothing about horses were generous enough to get me a pony. I don't remember where it came from. Brought him home. I fell off of him about three or four times in a row and was in love. And I rode him over our 160 acres for the next four years and learned everything not to do with horses. And because I had no instruction and my parents were not horse people, I don't know if he was dewormed. I don't know if we fed him properly. I am pretty sure he never had his feet done but he taught me so much and there was so much love and appreciation and I mean he ran me over he kicked me he stepped on me and all probably for totally good reason honestly I I like to joke now that I tortured him and he tortured me but it was a love affair nonetheless I would get on in the morning go out and ride and I would come home at dark because that was the rule so that was the first step and then I think when I was a little older my parents decided you know, we should probably get this kid some instruction because she just keeps falling off. And, you know, we didn't have access to a lot. We were up in Red Bluff, so it was sort of the middle of nowhere. But we had friends who had an Arabian farm. And so I took lessons with them. They were amazing. And we would do 
you know, a lesson every week or every other week or once a month, depending on what we could afford and what we could get to. And that was the first time I was introduced to proper care, proper saddling, proper bridling. I was exposed to little horse shows, just things that I, I didn't know existed. And that started a journey of unyielding interest. I still have that interest. I read constantly about horses. I watch videos about horses. I'm on every master class. I mean, there's not enough information in the world for me to absorb. Like it became like an obsession. So over my childhood, uh, my parents separated and it was really hard for me to find ways to ride. You know, single parents have a hard time making that happen, you know, financially and time-wise. So I would just find random ways to get on horseback. When I lived in Arizona, there was a thoroughbred rehab facility down the road from, from my dad's place. And I just walked in one day, I was like, 10 years old and I just walked in and said do you guys have jobs for anybody that loves horses and I brought my little handwritten resume and they were like you know this poor kid we're gonna give her something to do so they gave me the opportunity I started by just helping groom the really quiet I think they were like pony horses off the track that were very behaved but in my mind I was doing this great thing right and then they would give me some of the pony horses to ride and then as I got a little more competent and I was brave so it, nothing ever worried me they would give me other things to do so they were really wonderful and and gave me horse time at a time when I really needed it when I moved back to California I found a trainer that was walking distance from my mom's house we lived in like the Morgan Hill Gilroy like area mm -hmm. and I just walked to her barn one day asked if I could you know help out and kind of got the same response I think she was a little bit like this poor kid like she really wants to do this so it started with bathing grooming helping by then i was pretty competent i was like 12 or 13 and i was pretty savvy and i could get around a lot of horses and again stupid brave didn't know i could get hurt so she let me start babies with her and it really actually taught me a lot it was such a wonderful part of my life and became my whole life i traveled to shows learned to braid learned to body clip I learned everything and they gave me those opportunities and then I could make a little bit of money you know at the time I thought I was like big time showing these horses they were like schooling shows <laughs> probably in someone's backyard but in my head they would give me like the old school horse to take in the first round so that the kids didn't get bucked off later I thought I was doing really big things in my head I was like I'm a professional did you want to be a professional was that a goal of yours yes that was like the dream right but in my head, I thought, I'm never going to get there because there's no funding. I don't have my own horse, et cetera, et cetera. So the woman that owned that barn happened to have Arabian horses, which is funny because that breed is filtered in and out of my life, my whole life. So I have a lot of appreciation for them. Um, my sister actually does endurance or did endurance for a long time and is getting back into it. I love her Arabians. There's something really special about that breed. So... I ended up working my way up. I got to go to youth nationals, way out of my league, should not have been there, but got to go and got a participation ribbon, which I still have actually, just to say that I went, right? I mean, really, you know, some of the trainer's clients rallied and saved money and, you know, put it towards me being there. I worked the whole time I was at the show. I groomed everyone else's horses. 
So in my mind, like I made it, right? Like I made it to Oklahoma City. I went to youth nationals, like I'm doing this. When I was 16, I actually moved out and was hired at a breeding farm in Michigan. And if anyone's ever lived in Michigan, it stows there a lot. And I was from California. <laughs> I'd lived in and around the Bay Area a lot or, you know, that Red Bluff area. And then Arizona, I had never been in snow. So I got there, it was spring, it was stunning. I mean, it's big red barn, white fences, 80 acres, brood mares, babies, three-year-olds, it was heaven. Then it snowed for like eight months straight. So I, I didn't make it, I didn't make it more than, it was about two years. I just never lived in that environment. And when it's dark for 45 days straight, you know, and at the time, you know, I'm 16, 17, I didn't, I turned 18 when I lived out there. I didn't know about like seasonal affective disorder. Like I didn't know why I didn't want to get up at six and go to the barn. Cause I loved getting up early to go to the barn. So there were a lot of factors that played into that, but I was out there by myself, living my best life, being a grown up, living on the farm, paying my own bills. Like I, I again thought I'd made it right. And I had been lucky enough in California to be introduced to and watch one of Buck Brandman's clinics. And I had no idea what I was doing, but I wanted to emulate that because it was so different than the style of handling horses that I'd been introduced to prior. And so these poor young horses at this breeding farm were like my test dummies, but I got to start a bunch of babies. I got to be around young horses and I got to develop a sense of like independence with how to do that. Cause there was no one else there. It was just me. And so, it actually built a lot of like bravery and it built in, and I don't mean bravery like to get on a rank horse or anything. It just built a lot of bravery that I could make horses better. I could do things with them that I didn't think I could do before. So when I came back to California, I spent the next four or five years, like I managed a hunter jumper barn and, and I hacked horses for trainers that would travel, but I never wanted to work for anyone because I didn't want to be stuck doing things their way, which is a little bit of a personality flaw, quite frankly. I would have <laughs> done a lot better in this business if I would have just gone to work for somebody that was experienced and had ability and I could have just done what they did and learned, but I didn't. So you never you never had that negative experience with someone that induced that? No, I really didn't. I mean, I worked for a trainer, a Morgan trainer for a couple of years and was an assistant when I first came back, but I didn't exclusively work for them. And I did get to travel with them and like go to big horse shows and whatever, but it was a good experience. It's hard work, but it was a great experience. And I never picked a breed really. I just worked for whoever would hire me. So I got to ride everything. I got to sit on dressage warm bloods and endurance rabians and show morgans and show quarter horses and ponies and i just rode everything but i had this idea of how i wanted my horses to go and this very specific thought about the way i wanted them to be handled and managed and that obviously matured and grew and developed as i also matured and grew and developed <laughs> no i just i knew i didn't want to work for someone i'm also a terrible employee Hmm. Um, to be very honest, like, and I've worked in the service industry. I've worked in restaurants. I owned a sports bar. Like I've done that, that work. I'm not a good employee. I'm much better at running my own ship. So when I first started this business, it was 
a little bit out of necessity. I had gone to college. I thought I was going to be a vet because that was the responsible thing to do. I am not smart enough to get into vet school. I had a decent GPA. I, you know, was a biology major, but the math and science was not my strong suit. And the reality was if I wanted to go to vet school, it was going to be pretty much unaffordable regardless of what school I went to. And I was only going to get into the smallest, like tiny little school that just took anybody. And I didn't want to do it that way. So I was like, well, I have two choices in life. I either go back to school for something else that makes, you know, enough money to ride, or I just keep riding horses. And at the time I was already getting paid to start babies, restart problem horses, trailer load horses. I mean, I already had a little business started and my partner at the time was very supportive. And he basically said, look, this is the only thing you're happy doing. Like, this is the only thing you like. You hate school. You do it because you have to, but you don't want to be in an office and you probably don't want to be in the field floating teeth and giving vaccinations. And he wasn't wrong. So I was like, all right, I'm going to make this happen. So I leased a barn, leased a property. And again, he was very supportive. He was like, whatever you need, we'll do. Um, leased that barn, got it you know, set up, got ready to move in. And six days before we moved in, he was killed in an auto accident. So it changed my entire trajectory. So at that point, it was mandatory that I made this work because now I had invested, oh gosh, probably 40 or $50,000 into making this happen, right? We had rented our house that we owned. I had, you know, bought lesson horses. I had tack i had hay orders i mean i it was like you committed i was in it like i was doing this and it could not fail i bought jumps i mean like i bought signage i had like rented a house on the property i had staff like it was i was in it and i was like 26 and just way in over my head like clearly so my wonderful sister came and lived with me and helped me and just she was amazing. She did so much. And her significant other at the time, who was also my farrier, was amazing. He, God, built stuff and, I mean, just, like, stepped in big time. But I had to make it work. So I did. I just got up every day, went to work, went to horse shows, like, you know, just really got all in the business. And I showed more. I produced more young horses. I had really good clients. They really supported me. They rallied behind me. They bought me a new show set up, like just really great people, like people that I'm still friends with and that were so supportive and just amazing. And I wouldn't have made it like without all of them. I was going to ask if at the time, that's not something that a 20, most 26 year olds go through. <clears throat> like that's a big blow and such a change in everything that like having that to focus on is probably a good thing. Yeah, it was. I mean, it didn't allow a lot of like reprieve. Yeah, there was no processing, but it was a great distraction. Like we were up early cleaning stalls, taking care of horses, traveling. Like it was a great way to just sort of like bulldoze through it. Highly don't recommend. <laughs> yeah. Highly don't recommend. Yeah. Not good for future mental health, but good at the time because it was the way that I knew to process. Because the one thing I am good at is working. Like I'm a worker bee. I can do 15 hours a day, no problem. So 
doing 15 hour days, seven days a week meant I only had time to eat and sleep. And even then I didn't always do a lot of that. And it was like perfect. When that lease was up, I just couldn't continue the lease on the property. So I had some clients at the time who were again, wonderfully supportive and said, Hey, if you want to come work at our property, you know, we have this little barn that we bought, we'll put in a ring, you know, you'll have to downsize and have less horses, but you can ride our horses privately and then also have a few clients. And that was a really great experience for a few years as well. It changed when I wanted to expand and do more, but really great experience really helped me kind of push through and kind of find my place in the sport because I've always done things a little bit different, like didn't take the traditional junior road, didn't take the working for people road, didn't take the assistant trainer, took over an older trainer's business road, like because I've done it differently and had a very diverse background. You know, like we rope off of our horses and we do we do a lot of things that a lot of people don't do, um, but it, it gave me that freedom to do that and to play around with that. And because it was supported by those clients and now supported by the clients that I have, it's like I, I found my niche, I found my place. And so that's kind of been that's kind of been the journey. The last, you know, basically ten years has just been sort of trying to establish like a consistency because it's really hard in this business to be consistent and to stick to your to stick to your guns. And I have lost clients and I have had to fire clients and I have had to move barns. But I think for me sticking with the things that I believe and know are right and good and important for the horses and giving kids who wouldn't have an opportunity the way I really didn't have an opportunity, the chance to ride and develop and compete. Those have been the driving factors for this is creating a place where I don't care if you have a $1 thoroughbred that you got off the track because someone else didn't want it or you have a $100,000 quotation horse, you fit here. Like it's a place where you are you're going to learn the same things and you're going to have the same skill set. And so that's just been the last 10 years is being able to really, you know, solidify that. And now with this property, I feel like I not only have a place to do that, but I have a place to do it the way that I want to, which is amazing. And your goal. Yeah. Do you think it's nature or nurture that at a young age you would just like walk into these places and ask for what you wanted and to see if they'd hire you. That was just in my nature. I, I've been like that since I was little. I used to walk up to people in the grocery store and introduce myself and tell, tell them my name and my address and my Uh-oh. parents would be like, hey, like maybe don't do that. <laughs> like you should, you shouldn't do that. Which is funny because I'm actually pretty introverted overall. I'm not terribly friendly as I think many people would <laughs> would attest. My stellar RBF usually keeps me pretty, uh, pretty solid but I have no problem asking for things I have no problem with any of that so that was just who I was from a little kid yeah and what do you think you've learned the most out of that whole process with everything patience which is not something I was naturally imbued with so the hardest thing with horses is patience right and I have just endless patience for the horses. I do not feel like they need to be rushed or pushed or pressured, but people I have almost no patience with. So that has been a big lesson, big, big lesson, especially in an endeavor like this one where I had to be patient for like a year while I figured out exactly how to do exactly what I'm doing now and being patient, waiting for the right property and being patient waiting for the funding and be patient waiting for the 
you know, everything to coalesce. So yeah. Patience. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. And do you think that with people your go-to is just that they should know better? Kind of. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, I think people do what's easy because it's harder sometimes to do what's right. And laziness is one of the things that I cannot stand. And so for me, doing something that's easy, I look at as doing something lazy. So that frustrates me a great deal. But yeah, I I think, you know, kids obviously are learning and don't know, but as an adult with a phone in your hand with endless access to information, for me, like ignorance is a choice at this point. So, you know, we all have to do better and it's okay when you know better to do better. You don't have to do the same thing over and over, hoping for a different result. You can just change. And yeah. that's the thing that I think frustrates me with people. It's just, let's just do it better. Let's just change. It's not that hard. Yeah, and sometimes I feel like going through trauma, whether it's in childhood or it's adult or what you went through when you were 26, like all of it, I feel like when you go through something like earth shattering, you're like... Don't mind the dogs. Sorry. <laughs> we have a- we have a pack of dogs outside <laughs> protecting us vehemently from the neighbor driving down the road. <laughs> but yeah, like when you go through some sort of traumatic situation, your fuse sometimes almost gets shorter for people because you're like, yeah. life is so short. Why are you being an asshole? Or why yes. are you Why are you putting that extra stuff onto everybody? Yeah, 100%. And I think that especially after, you know, that time in my life, I had absolutely no patience for shenanigans of any kind. And I sort of shut off a lot of contact with people within the sport, which I shouldn't have done, but I did. I would see somebody do something that I was not pleased with or thought was unkind to the horse or or couldn't understand. And instead of stepping back and saying, you know, I wonder why they're doing that. Curiosity. Yeah, I didn't stay curious about it because I wasn't in a place to do that. I was too young and too ignorant and too hurt and too angry. So I would just assume they were choosing to be that way and be frustrated. So I've actually developed a lot of relationships in the sport now where I'm at least on good terms with people I used to actually not like. They didn't know I didn't like them, to be (laughs) fair. I never said anything. I, I didn't respect them or I didn't like them or I didn't want to be around them because I didn't understand that maybe what they're doing is coming from a very different place than what I'm doing. And I was in a place then where I was like, God, if they're not doing it this way, they're not doing it right. And, you know, that's every, you know, late 20 year olds. Yeah. Thought (laughs) process. So now at least I'm in a place where I can go, you know what? That stems from not knowing or that stems from just constant practice of the same thing, not knowing there's something else out there. So the cool thing now is that I have an opportunity. We have an opportunity in this sport to educate better, to really emphasize the horsemanship and the horse care and the time it takes to develop a young horse or the time it takes to retrain an older horse or the... You know, we have that opportunity to do that and I'm going to take it and I hope everyone else does. But I also, for myself, have tried really hard to watch the things maybe I don't like and try to understand why I don't like them and then understand why someone would do those things. And then now I'm at a place where I'm pretty secure and I can walk up and say, hey, I know you guys have been trying to load this horse for the last hour. Can I step in and help? And I do that a lot. I do that horse shows all the time. My assistant actually told me I'm not allowed to do that anymore because it takes too much time and then we leave late. You know, I don't mind now stepping in and going, hey, can I help you with that? And it's funny, I used to think I wasn't qualified. So some of that was insecurity. And now, like, I know I'm qualified. And when I just step in and offer help, 
I've never been turned down. Hmm. Everyone's like, absolutely. I would love to know about that. Or I would love for you to show me something. I'd love for you to help me. So it's neat because I've made that, you know, I'm, I'm going to be 40 this month. So it's like, I've made that switch into being, I'm old enough. I've done enough and I feel capable enough. And I've had enough success in the things I think are important. And I don't mean ribbons and wins. I mean, in developing horses that are happy and secure and have been with me a long time and maintain their soundness and maintain their mental stability. I'm like, I have proof I can do this and it works. So now I can impart that, you know, and I think you have to have those successes to be able to turn around and feel like you can share that with someone. I think you also have to have the fails. Oh yeah. To know what oh, you're not capable of. <laughs> to, yes. to know what you're not capable of. So is there anything that you would do different differently within your trajectory in terms of what you went through or just later in life? So I think if I had known how important it was and how valuable it would have been to go and ride for people, even if it had been like six month working student stints. See, I didn't know because I didn't grow up in the industry. I didn't understand it. I just saw these girls getting yelled at constantly and having these kind of, you know, terrible experiences working for people. And I didn't want to be one of those girls because I didn't have the broader knowledge to look at a trainer and go, wow, they're doing that for a reason. I would look at anything that I thought of as unkind or abusive and say, oh, I could never work for them. I'll never associate with them. I'll never ride with them. Now I look back and I go, okay, I understand where those things come from. And and some of it, what, what I thought was too aggressive was was really in the moment, probably a pretty fair interaction with the horse, depending on what was happening. So now I would say to like a young professional, find someone that you trust and find someone that you want to emulate and go work for them. And if I had known better, there's several people in the industry that I would emulate and I would go and just work for them. And I would work for free. Like I would just go give them my time to get the knowledge. And I think that's what's hard now is that, you know, we have to make enough money to live, but at the same time, a lot of people get really bogged down with the, like, I have to have a salary and I have to have living quarters and I have to bring my horse and I have to this. And it's like, that's not how any of this works. If someone is sharing their 10,000 hours of, you know, expertise, they are giving you hundreds of thousands of dollars of their time, effort, energy. Like you have to accept that as opportunity um, and you have to accept that as payment. And I think in this sport, it gets a little bit convoluted because trainers are expected not only to fund their assistants, but to also, you know, bring them up and give them all this knowledge and information. And I think all assistants should have to be grooms and working students first. And not that I think you shouldn't be paid for your time and shouldn't be reimbursed, but my wonderful assistant, Lauren, who's been with me now for, God, like six or seven years, I told her the same thing. I said, she came out of college and I said, you have six months that you have to work for me. You have to be a working student for free. And if you can learn the things I need you to learn and you can prove that you want to be here, you'll have a job forever. And I will give you every opportunity. I will find you horses. I will let you show. I will send you to clinics. We will make a career for you, but you have to put in this time first. And I think that's what a lot of people lack is they go straight from a junior to an assistant and there's the in-between that's lost. You should know how to do everything in your barn and be willing to do it. You should be willing to pick up a pitchfork and clean a stall if your guys don't show up. You need to be willing to braid a tail if the braider forgot the night before. And if you don't have the ability or you're unwilling to learn those things, this is the wrong sport for you. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think that there is a lot of that lost. And it's even in the farrier world, in the vet world, like all of that where 
Yeah, I think people are very hyper-focused on money and on how they can make more money instead of how they can gain more knowledge. And better the industry and better the sport because the healthier the industry is, it's going to be sustained. But we're depleting the industry by not producing good horsemen. And I don't care if you jump cross rails or you jump the meter 40, you should be able to take care of your own horse. You know, and a little kid on a pony, yeah, they can't do all the things, they're little, but they should know the parts of their bridle, they should know the parts of their saddle, they should know the parts of their pony, they should be able to groom, they should be able to tack. You know, they should know the basics, they should identify if their horse has a cold or is limping or whatever. And I think so much of that gets lost and we're so worried about the shiny bright lights of, oh, I won this thing and I did this thing. You can't, you can't rest on those laurels. Those happen one time. Move on. The day-to-day is what matters. The day-to-day, the horse care, the horse grooming, the horse, you know, everything that you do with the horses every day, the way you interact with them in the stall, the way you walk in and put their halter on. They don't care about ribbons. They do that because we make them. They care about how they feel every day. You know, make them feel safe in a trailer. Help them feel safe in turnout. Let them have friends that they can groom and touch and, and interact with. Like, that's the stuff I think we lack. We start to treat the horses like these machines. And because there's not enough knowledge about how they'd actually like to live, like in herds and grazing all day. And, you know, and I think there's more information now and it's getting better, but it's been a long road getting there. Yeah, I've thought about this recently because I went from my horse being on a half acre to himself with a friend next door to my option now where I moved. He either can be on 18 acres free roaming Mm -hmm. with like, you know, heavy machinery and different things, or he can be in a stall with a run. Neither of those options in my mind are super safe. Mm -hmm. You know, I want him to have land to be able to walk around consistently. But also on 18 acres, I've already found like nails or different things where I'm like, this is so scary. Yeah. And so, and I've thought about, you know, the box stall idea is for our human minds to keep the horse safe, Mm -hmm. but they're not necessarily safer in that stall. A lot more injuries happen. Mm -hmm. The blood flow isn't going, you know, Mm -hmm. all of the things. All the things, yeah. So it's, it's, yeah, our human brains and our human ideas get in the way and, you know, what we consider safe isn't necessarily yeah. the safest route. And I joke with blankets. My clients like to buy blankets based on how cold they are. Mm-hmm. And I just remind them like, the horses are not cold. They're very comfortable at 50 degrees. It's not, we live in California. Yep. You know, go live where it gets really cold, really cold, negative degrees. And there are horses go living out. Go to Michigan. Out. Go to Michigan. <laughs> There's horses living out in their little lean-to shelters in a group with their butts to the wind and their big furry Floofy. coats. Yeah. yeah. And they're very happy. And they're, they're probably way happier than our horses that are sweating in their stalls because you love to buy blankets. But that's, again, that's just ignorance. And so that's our job as professionals to inform. And, you know, I'm lucky my clients are interested in those things and I try to provide a lot of educational opportunities so that they can learn and and grow as as people and horsemen and you know I hope that every kid that comes out of this program whether they continue riding or not can at least say god I know a lot about horses not I know a lot about showing not I want a bunch but I know a lot about horses and if I had a horse you know follow me home and put in my backyard I'd know what to do that's like the goal and we forget that I think way too often so yeah, definitely. So let's talk about what your program is now, what you offer, what you're looking forward to, that sort of thing. I used to write everything. 
uh, even up until about 10 years ago. And now I've really honed, honed in on like the hunter jumper world. I really enjoy the hunters and the equitation horses. My assistant loves the jumpers, so it's a nice balance in our barn. I love ponies. I'm a little pony obsessed. We have a lot of them right now. My focus is developing riders of any age, but I happen to have a lot of kids that ride with me. And all of our kids, we have no grooms. Our kids do all of their own care and all of our riders do all of their own care. I will not allow the horses to be groomed. When we travel to shows, it's a little different. I understand that it's important. The kids have to go to school. They're in a hurry. I don't want them to feel rest with the horses. I get that. And if we have to walk a muddle final in the morning and the horse has to be clean and brought to the ring, I understand that. But a lot of my students do their own grooming at the shows too. And I think people don't allow that enough. I have a little girl that went back to pony finals and was granted some really wonderful opportunities because she was there for almost a week without me. Rode, groomed, cared for her own pony and then continued to care for her own pony. I mean, we got up every morning, her mom and me and her and we all went up to the horse show and cleaned stalls and took the pony for hand walks. And, you know, she did all of her own prep the day of, you know, she's getting ready to go in her over fences and I'm trying to help her groom. And she's like, I got it. So that to me was the biggest win. And it happened to be a great show for her. She ended up in the top 10. It was wonderful. I was really proud of her, really proud of the pony. But regardless of the result, for me seeing that kid be able to go and do all those things. And with no question, I mean, she did her own ticket rounds. I wasn't even on the property. Hmm. She completely warmed her own pony up, went in the ring, did her own ticket rounds, very successful. It was wonderful to know that I could send a kid. And I had no question in my mind. I mean, my flight was delayed. I didn't get there for a whole extra day. No question in my mind that she would be fine. So that's the goal. That's truly the goal is to develop just a bunch of little horsemen. I think that for me, I'd like to offer more opportunity for people that, you know, want to be in this sport, but they don't have a consistent six-figure income to just influx. So we're working with Wellspring Thoroughbreds. I'm on the board of directors for that. And we're going to be doing a big fundraiser. We're trying to bring awareness and funding to Thoroughbred Sport Horses and bringing that back. I'm really excited about that because I have a, a real love for Thoroughbreds. They're phenomenal animals. They are all heart. Unfortunately, they've been bred to not be all body anymore, so they require a lot more maintenance and care, but that can be done. And we have a lot of really lovely thoroughbreds in the barn. Unfortunately, in our current sport, they are not as competitive with the warm blood horses because there's, there's just no way that a purpose-bred hunter and a horse that you pulled off the track six months ago are going to, you know, warm blood hunter and a track horse are, are gonna be judged the same but we are gonna run schooling shows that have hor uh, thoroughbred horse only classes and the thoroughbred incentive program is gonna help us with some of that. We'll offer tip points. So we're trying to develop a place for the average family, the average kid to learn, to grow, to have a nice horse, to learn about how to keep that horse nice. And then hopefully through this, this Wellspring Thoroughbred Foundation, we can have horses available for those families that are reasonably priced and that are suitable and that are safe. So that's one of my other big, you know, passion projects right now is finding a way to provide those animals for, for families that, you know, want to go to three shows a year and have a good time and keep a horse at home. Cause I think that's still really important. And we forget about that when we start going to all these big shows and traveling around the country. And, you know, we forget that there, there's a little girl that lives down the road that just loves horses. And there's no reason she can't ride and compete and be part of it as well, you know? Yeah. So Definitely. I think that that's definitely needed and awesome. Why do you think you 
you kind of said this a little bit, but why do you think out of all the disciplines and routes that you kind of explored that hunter jumpers is the route? So one of the rules when I was growing up, my mom didn't know anything about horses. The one thing she didn't want me to do is jump because Christopher Reeve had been in that horrible accident when I was a kid. And she was just sure if I jumped horses, that was gonna happen to me. So I didn't get to jump a single horse till I was 18. It was forbidden, right? So I rode horses on the flat. I did everything on the flat. But when I when I started jumping, because I'd always wanted to, and I always couldn't, when I finally got to start jumping, I was like, this is it. This is the thing that I love to do. This is awesome. And that part of the sport, I think the jumping I do more for me because I love it so much, but I'd be happy having a business where I just flatted horses all day too. And I tell my assistant all the time, the day that I wake up and I wouldn't be happy to just have one horse in my backyard and trail ride it is the day I'm going to quit competing and, and training because if you don't love it that way, you probably shouldn't be in the sport. So I'd be happy to do any of it. I just really gravitated toward the, the jumping. Once I got to start, it's like an obsession now. So yeah. If someone was interested in your program, how do they get in touch with you? So I do almost exclusively referral stuff. I don't really open it. I don't advertise or anything like that because when you come into this program, you have to be prepared to take a step back. And that's really hard for people because everybody wants to jump the next height and do the next thing. But for me, if the foundation is not there, if you are not really quality with your horsemanship, your ground handling, your flat work, if you can't show me that you can do all the things, you don't get to do any more things. So my kids jump, I would say at a pretty low level for a long time because I expect them to be pretty perfect at cross rolls, pretty perfect at two foot, pretty perfect at two six. Like they have to show me that they're not gonna throw the horse under the bus to jump bigger. And a lot of times my students can't afford three or four horses over their junior career. So we can't break the ones they have. So if you wanna move up the levels, you have to be very competent at the current level you're at. But we do have a website, it's just bthequestrians.com. The barn itself has a website, it's the Silver Spur Stables, um, and it has information on like the other programs that are here. I take almost all referral clients or people that come to me and say, we have not had a successful go in our current situation. We know there's something more that we need. We don't exactly know what that is, but we'd like help getting there. And that those are my favorite people because they're the ones that are really knowledge hungry and really interested in the development part, not caring so much about the showing. Yeah. Because that's just icing, right? That's just, horse shows are just your test. They're just testing to see where, where you're really at. And if you're really at the top of your game, great. And if you're not, that's okay. Go home and do homework. But it's the homework part that matters. Yeah, so. definitely. Is there anything else within your trajectory that you want to make sure you talk about? The one thing I think people don't understand is that this sport is going to be it is, it is going to change, fundamentally change the way that you function in the world. If you are doing this because you love horses and you don't mind being at the barn until eight o'clock at night and being at a horse show at 5.30 in the morning, you are different than the average person. And it is difficult on interpersonal relationships. It is difficult on families. Like I've, I've chosen not to have children. And part of that choice was that I didn't think that I could. I have friends that have done a wonderful job and I am immensely impressed because I don't think I could have compartmentalized this job and raising a family. There would just have been no way for me. And when I see it done well, I am amazed. But you have to really understand, like you have to have partners, spouses, whatever, that understand and are either in the industry or fully support the industry because it is not normal. And 
you have to understand that when you get into this, there are friendships that will leave you because you are gone to horse shows every other weekend and you're not out partying and having fun and doing those things. You know, you will miss holidays, you will miss funerals, you will miss weddings. You know, you will miss those things because we're working with live animals and they don't have a choice. They have to be cared for no matter what. So I think that's the biggest thing to remember is if you're really doing this, just know it's going to fundamentally change how you're going to be as a person. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. I think especially if you recognize that and you choose that, Mm -hmm. I think some people go into it blindly, not realizing, and then don't understand why their friends are mad or whatever. Right. Right. Or why they have, you know four divorces and you know can't can't keep a partner it's like this industry is not conducive so you have to have a really special partner you have to have really understanding kids you have to have a really understanding family like and you have to model the business that you have and scale the business that you have based on how you want to do that and so I just think that was something that was never really talked about I just sort of knew I just sort of innately was like okay this is the one thing I'm doing I can't I can't branch but I think people think they can have it all uh, and women especially, because, you know, if, if you're having kids, like, it changes. You can't ride for a certain amount of time. You know, your whole life is invested in these other little humans. Like, it's really important to remember that that will, that will change the way that you do those things. It's totally doable. I watch it happen all the time. But I think going into it, a lot of girls don't realize how that's going to be and what that's going to look like. So just something to keep in mind if you're going to do this as a professional. Definitely. And so let's go into the question. So what is something, and you might've talked about it already, but what is something within the community you wanna see evolve or change? And then how can you help with that if you're not already? So I think the, like the education, like the openness of information, that's already changing. Like we have masterclasses and all these wonderful things, like Noel Floyd put on all that wonderful stuff. Um, My friends are running something called Three Rain Media, which is amazing. It brings the horsemanship to the masses. So that's already um, kind of on a track. But what I think we have to do in the sport horse industry is, you know, we like to talk about all that stuff and have all that stuff videoed, but we have to practice it. We have to do it every day. So the thing that I would love to see changed the most, I would love to see when the kids get off their ponies at a horse show that they don't hand that pony to a groom, that they are required to walk their pony back to the stall, take its bridle off, pet it, tell it thank you. Not that you can't have grooms. I have grooms at the shows. I love my guys. They're amazing. But the appreciation for the horses and the time to say thank you for doing that for me, whatever it is that you're doing, I think that needs to change the most. We don't appreciate these animals enough and we're not kind enough. Understanding that we put them in a metal box and drag them all over the place and make them jump sticks and do things they would not do on their own. They are only doing this for us. And they are so kind and so generous that they keep doing it even when we do it wrong. So I think if we can instill that appreciation, and for me, I think I'm doing that just by having my kids do that. Like it's it's a requirement for them in this in this barn, and I think that other kids see that. And I think talking about it and practicing it is the best form of spreading that information. Like if you practice it and other people see it, I think it'll catch on. If you talk about it a lot, but you never actually do it, that's a problem. Yeah, but that so. gets noticed, I think, in the industry reputation and someone that does talk the talk but doesn't walk the walk like people know yeah. it's a small it's yeah. a small community it's a small, yeah it's a small pond <laughs> yeah. um something that i recognize is it's i think it's very uh cute i don't know another word to say um that you said you didn't have you chose not to have kids but then you call all your client kids kids mm-hmm. your kids they're all my kids yeah <laughs> so you did I your joke. choice you're uh, yeah. choosing the kids i didn't birth you any children but i have raised <laughs> 
30 plus kids and I am so proud of so many of them. I have one that just started vet school at UC Davis. I have another that is literally an oral surgeon. Um, I have another that is in marketing and just an amazing human. She actually comes back and helps me teach some of my little lessons sometimes. So I have a lot of kids and I'm very attached to all of them. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And lastly, you get to ask me one question. What would you change in the sport? I get this kind of switched back on me often and I like that because yeah. every day is a different answer. Yeah. So I think something that came to mind while you were explaining kind of the hunter jumper world and people just handing their their horses off to grooms. I rec I was in the hunter jumper world from like totally guessing like 8 to 13 in in SoCal. And I recognized that I was the little kid that did my own. I would wear sweatpants over my show pants mm -hmm. so that they wouldn't get dirty and all the things. And I recognized the main girl that I was showing against would get off her pony, sit in the golf cart, hand her pony off. And I was confused by that. And so I think one thing, aside from what you kind of your answer, aside from that, I think Something that bothers me a lot when I go to, I do go to the hunter jumper shows and I observe and kind of walk around or say hi to friends or whatever is I wish there was an option of paddocks for those horses mm -hmm. and not just like these 10 by 10 or maybe 12 by 12. I don't know how big they are, but not big enough Yeah, where these horses can. And again, some of those horses don't know that life. So they yeah. might yeah. hurt themselves and I get yeah. it, but like to have an option of paddocks or something else in yeah. the show world yeah it's a far-fetched idea the great thing actually about desert international horse park is that they have paddocks and they are all grass and oh, they're wow. wonderful the sad part about that is we turn our horses out every single day when we show down there and many of those paddocks are empty mm. barns will rent a row of paddocks and will not use them and not everyone, there's plenty of horses turned out, but if let's say there's 50 paddocks, there's 10 horses turned out and I'm four of them. So the, the sad, the hard part is, the sad part is, I think the idea is amazing and, and the, the horse park in Thermal offers it and it's not really utilized. utilized. Yeah, so I, but that would be amazing. I would turn my horses out at every show. They could live in paddocks if they'd let me. I don't even, I don't care if they're in the stall. Half of mine go out at night. So yeah. they live out all night in their turnouts. So yeah. Well, that's yeah. awesome that at least the showground <clears throat> offers it. That's yeah. the first step, right? Yeah. And then yeah. kind of having people recognize the benefits yeah. mentally, physically, all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I'm with you on that. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you for chatting with me. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Hello again, and thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of Stable Connections, the podcast. For the first two years, I put out episodes every single Monday. Now, they're going to come out kind of sporadically, sometimes every week, sometimes once a month. But if you listen to an episode and enjoy it, please leave a comment, share it with your friends, share it on your story. All of these actions help spread the word. And if you have the time, please leave a review on Facebook, Apple Podcast, and Spotify. Thank you so much. See you next time.